Welcome to the Motorsports in Focus podcast. I'm your host, David Santiago, joined by my co-host and producer, Joe McKinney. Hope you enjoy. And we're back once again. And uh, how you doing, Joe? I'm all right. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, actually. Less tired this week? Definitely less tired. Um, I think we mentioned last time that I was doing the carpet install and all yeah, that stuff. Right. Carpet is in. Okay. That's is, that's an improvement. Furniture went back in today. Okay. So, I'm actually... How I, was the install? Not too bad? Um, I've never done carpet before, and... Um, I actually haven't either. I've done tile, but never carpet. Yeah. All the videos I watched were nothing like actually working with it. They okay. all made it look super easy. Oh, of course. They're just like, oh, yeah, you just uh, tuck it in here, and you push it in there, and uh, you just cut it, and then you're done. And I'm like, okay. So, I tried that, and uh, it did not work the way it did in the videos at all. <laughs> so, I basically... You know, Did just, you have to lay all the tax strips and stuff around the border? Yes, which okay. also blew my mind um, because I've never done that before, obviously. And when I went to like the store to get the tax strips and they had nails in there, I was like, well, that can't work. I got a concrete slab, right? It's not like a subfloor. And uh, then I look it up and it's like, no, that's the thing. You just drive the nails into the concrete, which just, I don't know, just for me, that just didn't seem logical. <laughs> but it worked. Yeah, it worked. It was very frustrating, though. Yeah. Because the nails that come with the tack strips are sort of thinner, and there's like different uh, height and thickness nails that some of them are better depending on how hard your concrete is. And um, yeah, there was a lot of swearing. Um, I stabbed myself probably ten times on okay. the tack strips. Okay. So. Yeah. So what? So what was worse, the install or the removal of tile? Definitely the removal of tile. Okay. Because 100%. most mostly because of the dust and just the exhaustion. Because once the carpet's in, it's like detail work, you know? Yeah. It's not that bad. It's just like you got to take your time. But the tile is just not fun. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, now it's all in. Now I've reached the stage where in the middle of it, you're like, I'm never doing this again. And then at the end, you're like, yeah, this is nice. This is nice. I'm yeah. happy with this. I would do this again, yeah. you know? So I'll do the other rooms. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, maybe we should just go all the way to the garage let's, with it. Let's do the bathrooms. That's always made <laughs> yeah, sense. Yeah, there we go. Do people do that? Carpet in the bathroom? Oh, that's an that's an old thing. Like I remember going up to like my family's old houses in Michigan or something like that. You know, they'd be like the house would be from I don't know the fifties or something like that. And that's yeah, you have a carpeted bathroom in like the random guest bathroom, and it just you can't help but imagine all of the things it absorbs that it shouldn't absorb. Yeah, that is that's not a good idea at all. Yeah, I just it. Apparently, it was popular enough to catch on for a, a period of time, though, which blows my mind. Nobody went, hmm, hygiene. Well, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. It I'm absorbs sure... everything when you get out of the shower. You don't need to lay down a, a mat. You don't. What's a bath mat <laughs> I'm sure for? people were like, yeah, but don't you like coming out of the shower and you know standing on the carpet to dry your feet off? <laughs> it's not a cold floor in the winter. Yeah, there you go. There you go. But, um, yeah, feeling much better. And, uh, yeah, excited to talk about indie. Yes. No F1 this week. Nope. No IMSA, no nothing else, just Indy, so it might be a short one. But uh, what were your thoughts? Obviously, we're not going to get into the street circuit debate. <laughs> okay? All right? Let's just get it out of the way. I, I will say it was a better street circuit than, obviously, like Detroit is or, or Long Beach. It is it is one of the better street circuits. It's better than St. Pete, it's better than Long Beach, and it's better than Detroit. Yeah. It had some good uh, backdrops, too. It did. I thought. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, they... The nice thing was, it, there's not just this endless 90 degree, 90 degree, 90 degree, 90 degree. It's, yeah. You know, there's some curvature to it, so it added, it was, there was some character. Bumpy, though. Very bumpy. 
Manholes were a problem. Yep. Overall, I thought it was a decent enough race. It's again, it's a street circuit. I'm not gonna get into it. It's just. It, I think it's not gonna provide the same quality of race that something like Road America or Barber or anywhere that these guys go that is an actual proper circuit. It's not gonna provide that sort of racing. So to, to be fair, we only had one like typical street circuit moment at the beginning. The pile up. We, yeah, we had one pile up. Yeah. That blocked the track. Um, that was just a crappy situation. It was like just contact trying to go three wide through a corner. It's like, what, what's going on here? Yeah, yeah. That was unfortunate. But uh, other than that, um, we really only had normal incidents that maybe if it was a normal road course wouldn't have been a full-on safety car period, but otherwise it was pretty good, I thought. What did you think about what Graham Rahal did in that incident? So he was the when last guy. When he went guy. through the... Uh... It backed up on the racetrack. Granted, last guy through. Yeah. But backed up on the racetrack to then use the exit, which I didn't even know Yeah, through like that had... monument, too. Yeah, I didn't know... <laughs> racetracks had ac- exits like that just to get to another corner i mean i guess I, it makes sense for maybe safety vehicles that's the first time i've ever seen it i've never seen circuit. anything like that yeah usually it's just like an area but then you have to do a 180 and come back out of it yeah exactly i think it's a really good idea actually um but Did, i don't think you'd be able to do it really anywhere else didn't it feel sort of wrong when you watched it like i was like wow that's really smart but how is that allowed you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I got the feeling, like, wait, a, wait, what? There was a moment where I was like, I didn't, wasn't sure. Because he if not it was... leaving the track to gain an advantage? Well, I guess technically no, but that was my first thought too. Because when I saw him going down there, I was like, I didn't know where it led out of, and so I was like, what if he just cut half the track? Yeah, <laughs> you know, to avoid Which this pileup. As soon as he escaped, you were like, okay, very clearly, he just all he did was one corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and so it wasn't too bad, but uh, really smart to even recognize that that was there. And so fast, man. He made contact, hits the guy in the back, right? Wing damage, whatever. And just within, what, five seconds? Yeah, is immediately up, in reverse. Going, yeah. And it is not just in reverse, but aware of the the safety car team as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he did a great job there. And uh, yeah, I just thought it was funny to watch him drive through that arc, arch, whatever that was, yeah. monument thing. Yeah. And then back out on the track. But yeah, I don't know. That was, like you said, a freaky incident. Um, and yeah, it's tr- typical street circuit. Ends I mean, up it blocking the track. So smart. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. But yeah, overall, I thought it provided a pretty good race. Uh, good battles back and forth. Um, some weird fuel issues at the end, uh, yeah. which I thought was odd. And then I actually, again, thought that Polo was probably the fastest guy on the grid and ended up having wing damage from the weird incident between Castroneves and Kirkwood. Yeah, that wing damage was funny to watch, too, because uh, when it first happened, they were, like, looking at it, and it was like, is it damaged? Is it not damaged? Or, like, it must be damaged, but it doesn't look that bad. Yeah. And then by the end of the race, it was literally hanging on by a thread. Yeah. And I can't believe he made it to the end like that. I can't either. <laughs> but it, he was, again, the fastest driver out there. Yeah. Like, Lundgaard I mean, did a good job passing him, but he, Lundgaard does not pass him if he's got a full wing or a functioning wing. Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I think both of them had a really good drive. Uh, Lungard especially because when he did pull into the lead, like he was gone. Yeah, yeah. Did he did get away ten seconds? Yeah. So but. that was pretty impressive. And then, um, yeah, because I all the whole time I was watching Palo, I'm like, he's gonna come through the field and fight for the lead. He's gonna do it again. Yeah. Then again, Newgarden looked hottest too. Mm-hmm. I mean, fifteen passes or something like that. I saw in the post race. Yeah. Most. Did you catch race. what happened to McLaughlin? Uh, McLaughlin? No, I didn't. Okay, because I was I was watching, and then all of a sudden he's like way down the order, and I was like, yeah. did. Ended up finishing sixth, I believe. Yeah, yeah very strange. But yeah, the, the, 
what did you think of the incident between uh, Castro Neves and Kirkwood? Because that was weird. Like, I, I thought I heard on the radio, green, green, green. Was that the restart where they... Yeah, uh, and it's like Castro Neves around? did not go. Yeah. Kirkwood just drilled him in the back. It looked it looked to me like Castro Neves never got the green, green, green radio call that everybody else got. I think it's either that or I don't remember seeing the replay of it specifically of that moment. Um, but it could have been like just one of those awkward things where right as he got the green, 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 he was slowing down, which would have been a weird thing to do. Um, and the other driver's accelerating, so you just get this moment of... Like, you just can't react fast well, enough. But and the other thing I thought of, too, is does, so when your pit wall calls in and says, hey, green, 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 does that does that necessarily mean, like, just hit it and go? Or does that mean, like, you are now free, but you need to be aware of what's going on around you? Because I, I do feel like that's got to be at least partially the case. Yeah, I think so. I, I don't know exactly how Indy does it, though, because I know... I can't remember. There's one of the series that once you go green, you have to wait to the line. Like, there's no passing I, until the line. I believe that's Indy. It is Indy? I believe that's Indy. Okay. That, I think that's actually trickier to deal with than uh, if you're just, like, as soon as it goes green, free-for-all, do whatever you want. Well, I think it separates the field significantly. Yeah. But I also think it makes it so that, like, if there's an incident, like, what are you going to do? Not pass them? Or, right. You know, it created, like, a pile-up situation. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It could have just been a freak thing. Did they say uh, why that uh, they retired the car? I didn't catch Who, that. Who, Kirkwood or Castro Neves? Uh, Castro Neves. Uh, no. I mean, he got hit hard in the back. Yeah. It may have been like a gearbox failure. That okay. would not shock me with that type of yeah, cause contact. It, I, that's what I suspected, because when he tried to turn around, like he tried to do a 180, you know, light up the rears, dump the clutch, and yeah. turn around, the car just kind of went straight. Yeah. I was like... That was weird. Yeah, that's got to be, like, that screams either the diff is not doing anything, like, or the gearbox is completely gone, and he's just spinning, he's just spinning a drive shaft. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it was weird. Yeah. Um, Which would make sense for not retiring the car, if you, like, of all the things to go wrong. Yeah, that would be unfortunate. I mean, he already had a bad situation, you know, obviously. Yeah. Would have ended up in the back, but, yeah, freaky thing. And... <laughs> Real quick, I, I, did, I wanted to mention this. I, I've complained about this before, but why in IndyCar do we keep changing the liveries? Oh, I know. Yeah. I was so confused. Yeah, because Lundgaard has been, what, pink all year long and yeah. is now bright green. I like the new livery, but they were talking, they're like, and the next race, he's going to have a completely different delivery. And they have, like, different sponsors and everything. So you're just like, why? 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 I, mean, I guess the one benefit is, and not every team does this, because obviously Scott Dixon has raced in pretty much the same car yeah. forever. Yeah. Um, but one of the the nice things is it does make you individual allegiant and not team allegiant or not uh, sponsor allegiant, which is kind of nice. Like you, you're following that guy. Like you, you yeah. are a uh, Christian Lundgaard fan, not a. Whatever I don't even know what his high V I think is who he's racing for right now. That's the thing I I don't even remember. Yeah, yeah. So it's like I I get there's some IndyCar tries to push the team principle thing like Mm -hmm. NASCAR where it's like oh yeah you race for Team Penske. I've never talked to an IndyCar fan that actually gives a damn. Like Team Penske means like half the cars on the grid. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. And and it's like and no one. Like I'm sure there was a time where it mattered what your manufacturer was, but now between just Chevrolet and Honda, nobody gives a damn about who wins the race. Like it's, it's interesting when 
eight out of your top 10 are Honda or eight out of your top 10 are Chevy, then you're sitting back on, okay, they were clearly dominant on this portion or on this track. But generally speaking, it's not, you're not sitting back and having like this really dissected grid. That's like, Oh man, this car was faster. Yeah. I'm rooting for Chevy this week. It's like, no, you just kind of pick your driver that you like rooting for. Like when I watch IndyCar, I generally root for the Americans. That's all it comes down to. Yeah. That's, I have a few drivers that I enjoy watching, and that's about it. Yeah. I, I, I have been rooting for Pelot this year, though, because he's just been going off, and you just kind of want that. I like watching greatness. Yeah. He's been driving really well, too. So a couple of the moves he made in this race were mm-hmm. just fantastic. I that, thought the, the move that Lundgaard pulled on him was fantastic, by the way. Yeah, that like, was also a good move. Although he was, you know, you could say he was slightly damaged at the time, so he couldn't oh, really definitely. properly yeah. defend. But I forget who he passed earlier in the race, but... He came out of the corner sliding, and then, like, mid-slide decided, you know what? I'm going to dive down the inside. Was that Grosjean? Is that the one that he pulled yeah, on Grosjean? Yeah, it was Grosjean. Yeah. yeah. I saw that, and I was like, okay, that yeah. was impressive. Yeah. That was a lot of car control. Yeah. And just knowing where you're at, racecraft, all that kind of stuff, he was just, he just put the moves on Grosjean. Totally agree. Yeah, no, great. he's spectacular. Yeah. I, I would like to see him... I know we were talking about silly season a little bit in Formula One uh, last week. Mm-hmm. I would like to see him in a Formula One seat. I don't know where, but I would like to see it. You know, it's tricky because, like, I tend to agree with you, but I part of me doesn't want to see that because you don't want him to be, like... Stifled? Yeah, because what what are you going to do? Go to a team it, like Alfa Romeo and you're just like... It entirely depends, yeah. No, I don't want to see him go to a, a lower tier team. Like, if the if the Ferrari seat opens up, like we had talked about, and yeah. it's down to Albon or Pelot, give it to Pelot. I want to see yeah. Pelot get a chance. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I would want to see him in a top tier team. Otherwise, it's like, don't bother. And I'm sure he... I'm sure drivers from Indy have that in the back of their head. You know, if they get a drive in F1. Um, but you do not... You definitely don't want to go to like... That is... Just, you don't want to just... Drive an F1 to drive would, an F1, you know? So if you're Pelot, yeah. you're Spaniard, would you go to Aston Martin to race with uh, Fernando? I would, If yeah. signs didn't go? Yeah. I think that's. I think that makes a lot of sense. Because, I mean, he's... It makes a lot of sense on what, there's several a good, different levels. There's a good chance he wins IndyCar Championship this year yeah. with the way he's going. Yeah. So he'll already have that in his back pocket. But that doesn't mean that he can't get, like, seven of them. So, do you leave a series that you are currently dominating to potentially never win a championship? Like, I like Aston Martin, but there's a good shot they even with how good this car is, it's it's not a world championship car. And next, like, I mean, next year, obviously, no. We talked about it. Red Bull's winning the world championship this year. Yeah, obviously, but, yes. <laughs> but you know, next year or the year after, obviously, we we can't read into the future. But you got that's something you got to weigh into into this factor. I think. How many world championships do you want versus, or how many world championships do you want the opportunity to get versus how many IndyCar championships do you want? Because I think he's a multi-time IndyCar champion. I think if you were going to do it, though, the best option would be to go to Aston Martin and drive with Alonso, the fellow Spaniard, and also to learn from Alonso, to enter F1 and learn from Alonso just seems like the ideal way to get into it. Oh, I agree. And then from there, you know, you also have the potential to go to a different team. And I think if you he was to enter F1, it's like, okay, you enter at Aston, learn as much as you can, then see if you can get into a championship uh, winning team or has the potential to win a championship. And then if that doesn't pan out, then you might say, you know what, maybe I'll go back to Indy, maybe I'll stay 
depending on whatever you prefer. Yeah, well, and I think especially if he wins the, the IndyCar Championship this year, I don't think there's any chance that that is a heck of a storm, man. Did, yeah, I, I wonder if that, I'm sure that's going to come through on the microphones, but I actually heard that in the headset. Yeah, it's static in the yeah. headset, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, some interesting feedback, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's there. I guess there is a good chance that we just lose power and we'll have to have some random jump cut or something. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be great if it happened, like, As within a couple that. seconds of now. Yeah. And, yeah like, foreshadowing. Um, but no, I like, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, so if, if he does win the IndyCar Championship this, this year... I don't I, I don't think any team in their right mind if he leaves and the Formula 1 experiment doesn't work 3 years down the road. I don't think any team looks at him as a race car driver and goes, "Yeah, well, he didn't pan out in Formula 1, so we're not taking him." It's like, no, yeah. he won he just dominated IndyCar when he was there. So, yes, we will take yeah. him. Like I'm sure Roger Penske goes, "Sign him." Yeah. Pay him whatever he wants and sign him. I've got the money. I like, think the only other thing he'd want to do depending on where he was at in F1, if he did go to F1, is to make sure that he comes back and tries to win the Indy 500. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's going to have to be. But the thing is, he's not Fernando Alonso. He can't just Yeah, be like, I'm going to skip, bo- uh, skip Monaco, guys. Yeah. Just yeah. send the sub in. Yeah. that He doesn't <laughs> carry that weight. No. But I think that would be the one that he'd want to come back to Indy for because he was doing so well this year, and he had you know, so much potential to win this race uh, or the the race this year. So I can't help but feel that you'd be thinking in the back of your head that you have to go back and, and win it, you know? Oh, I agree. I, I That that may be the single reason why he doesn't leave at all. Yeah, to win that race. Yeah. yeah. And and this, this is not to say that he is going to leave either. Yeah. I Just random I, speculation. I do think, though, if he doesn't win the championship, I think he'll stay in Indy. If he does win the championship, I think there's a chance. He might say, you know what, I'll try this F1 thing. Yeah. It just depends on who gives him, who offers him a drive. Yeah. So, going back to the race itself. Yes. Um, so, you're saying overall, pretty good race? D- yeah. Solid. Wow. What, did you think it was great? No, no, oh. I'm just surprised. You know, it's a street circuit and all. Well, yeah, but a good race is a good race. Yeah. Like a, a solid race. I, I don't think it was anything over the top. I'm not gonna remember it four weeks from now. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's one of those races. But it. Let me put it this way. It was exciting. We we always compare, or at least so far this year, we've been comparing Indy to F1, right? It was exciting. I think it was probably on average more exciting. Than Silverstone, but really? Silverstone was a better race, and oh, I really okay. enjoyed Silverstone. I would rather, if I was going to rewatch one of them, I'd rather rewatch Silverstone. Okay. And anybody that says, "Oh, well, there was more passing in IndyCar than there was in Formula One," yeah, well, Pulsitter won both of them, so. Yeah, well, that was because ha- I, I, I halfway through the race, that was sort of my thought. That's uh, always the argument against yeah. Formula One. Oh well, Pulsitter just wins. Well, Pulsitter won. Yeah, in Indy, so. I always have a moment halfway through an IndyCar race where I think you get the same thing that you get in F1, where people are just setting into whatever their strategy is. They're not really making any big moves, at least at the uh, pointy end of the field. Mm -hmm. Um, And this race, because uh, Lundgaard was just pulling away from everybody, you know, most of the time they were just looking through the midfield to see what was going on. And there were some great moves, obviously, but we have the same thing in F1. 
uh, midway through the race. And I was like, I was sitting there going, you know what? This is just like F1. Yeah, Somebody's just, 10 it, seconds out in front, and we're just watching the midfield. Except in F1, for some reason, when they're watching the midfield, it feels like more boring somehow. Well, I, I think Sky Sports does a particularly bad job of covering uh, Formula One as far as mm-hmm. a broadcast is concerned and following the right vehicles. Um, okay. I think they're too late to battles yeah. and too early to leave them, if you will. Mm-hmm. Like the the nice thing with IndyCar is there there's a lot of battles that occur, which is great. There's also a lot of battles in the Formula One. The difference is NBC will jump onto a battle even if it's just a corner. Quick, get to that one. There's there's two cars really close. Quick, get to it. Yeah. And the thing with Sky is that they will follow for like five laps this meaningless battle that just looks like it has potential. Meanwhile, you could have Williams and I almost said Sauber, Alpha Tori. <laughs> like I'm, I'm just trying to pick two back of the grid yeah. teams. Yeah. Um, just th- they could have a serious battle for 17th and 18th, which means nothing for the race. But guess what it means for racing? Yeah. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, like that's the type of stuff. And, I just I feel like that's the broadcast regularly brings down Formula One, and that's not even talking about Martin Brundle and and Crofty, who we can't stand. I, it's just I I don't feel like they've executed it properly. They're also really self conscious. This is a weird thing, weird complaint, but like I find that they're really self conscious about the races too, where they'll talk about things like, oh, who says F one isn't exciting? Look, we had a battle. And she's like, don't even mention that. Yeah. Why would you mention that yeah. on the broadcast? Yeah, that's Just like shut up and talk what, about the what, racing. What that is is admitting <laughs> that everyone's right and attempting to win an argument. Yeah, just just stop. Yeah. Don't ever say that again. And they yeah. do it constantly. Every time something exciting happens, they're like, who says F one's boring? Look at that pass. Right. And you're just like, oh guys, come on. Yeah. I feel embarrassed for you. Yes. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. It's not the best look. Yeah. But. I mean, I I think on average, we've both agreed, we've said it before so far this, this season, IndyCar's been more entertaining. It's oh, just absolutely. These two races hand-in-hand, hand, like looking at them, and I, I think it's going to happen again because Hungary's always such a good race. You're going to have out of the three races uh, between with two of them being Formula 1 and one of them being IndyCar in these, this three-week three week section, both of the best races were Formula 1. Yeah. I think at the end of what is it this weekend, right? We have we have mm-hmm. Hungary this weekend. I believe so, so yeah, yeah. The by the by the next podcast, I think we're going to be saying the last three races that we've watched, two of the best have been in Formula One, which is interesting because I thought, like I said, I thought Toronto was a pretty decent race for IndyCar. It's just, hmm, it's true. I mean, with Indy, I keep saying the same thing. I literally have no idea who's going to win each race right. or even be in the top three each well, race. I, Every week it's different. I think that is part of the, the argument for people that are so against Formula One is that you do, at least right now, you do go into every single race going, yeah, Max Verstappen's going to win it. Yeah. Which is fair, but you also went into every race for the last, like, six saying Alex Pillow is going to win it, and without wing damage, Alex Pillow probably would have won this too. Yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's weird. It's it's really nuanced when you like if you really break down the two series and compare them, which I think is kind of interesting because the the difference between us saying wow that was exciting and interesting and us not saying that is actually really slim. Yes. And like you said, if Pelot didn't have this damage if these, you know, XYZ didn't happen, you know, 
and he won every race, would we still say it was a great race? Right. If like if Pelot won every race this season, would we be saying Indy is still exciting? There's part of me that thinks we still I, would I be th- saying that. I think we would. Yeah. I think we would. But it makes me think, like, well, why, why? Why is why is that the case? Because there's good midfield battles, and the coverage is good at covering them. Yeah. I think that's really what it comes down to. I think that's why Formula One doesn't catch on as effectively. That and the, the time. Yeah. You know, it's like I th- I think that really hard to watch a replay, and it's not like ESPN yeah. is putting it on prime time at 3 p.m. on a Sunday unless that's when the actual race happens. Yeah. Though I think the spread in Indy is much tighter than F1. Because in F1, it's like the field just spreads out over a larger area. Depends entirely on the circuit. Possibly. Because or maybe that's it's just the, the coverage is, again. I, look at Road America. Yeah. There was a pretty big gap from first to last. That's true. But then all of a sudden you get onto a tiny little street circuit like Toronto. There's, there is nothing on the Formula One calendar outside yeah. of Monaco as small as Toronto. Yeah. But it's weird. I think we have the same opinion on this between uh, WEC and IMSA. I think feel like the same thing happens. Well, yeah. So it comes down again to the the American coverage. Yeah, interesting. They're doing an exceptionally good job. Grand, we're American. It's they're probably catering to us. We're Maybe. probably biased, which I think is probably true. Wait, For are, me, are at you least. are you saying that I like America? Well, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you'd be right. Anyway, um, no, it's. I, they may cater to us more, and maybe the European audience does actually really like the Sky Sports coverage. I don't know. I don't speak to Europeans often enough about Formula One yeah, <laughs> to, okay. to know. But when it comes down to actually watching the race outside of the endless commercials that NBC loves to run, uh, it's it's really good coverage every single time. Yeah, and I, the Fox has always done a pretty pretty good job with IMSA. Um, they don't have the coverage this year right isn't it nbc also doing imsa this year uh i believe so i feel like i had to watch a an imsa race on nbc but i don't i don't remember for sure anyway they they all they're all relatively the same when it comes to the coverage and i I think they do a a pretty damn good job and barring the announcers for for a lot of the WEC races the the one scotman scotsman i can't remember ever remember i i never remember i think it's john heindorf maybe I think that doesn't sound very Scottish. I can't remember. I know exactly. <laughs> I'm sure everybody else oh, knows the guy it. you're yeah. talking about, yeah. and he is the best announcer for sports car racing. Um, but yeah, I would he, love to hear him do a Formula One race. That would be really cool, actually. I love his whole team. His whole team. I I will literally when I'm watching an endurance race, I turn off the audio from the TV and put Radio Le Mans on. Is it is it close enough though that it's accurate? You mean like timing like, wise? I'll I'll pause it for a little bit to get the delay right. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh once you do that, like that's what I did for Lamar. And I was literally getting mad at the announcers uh on TV and I was like, "Okay, I'm done with this." Put Radio Lamar on. I was like, "Ah, oh, all is well." I'm not <laughs> hearing about random drama. I'm just hearing basic it's like listening to a podcast during the race. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I love about it. There's no BS. There's no like you know, I'm not talking about like sponsor stuff or like things that they have to say, but it's just like, oh, so and so's coming up here. You know, what if blah 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 or blah, blah. And you're just like, what is he talking about? Yeah. You know, these guys they just talk about yeah their own thoughts and it's great. So, what were we? T- oh yeah, the coverage in general. Yeah. That's how we got there. I, I really think that's what what creates the event and that's what makes it that much more enjoyable to watch. Yeah, and I think it's also the storytelling because, like, for example, at the British GP. The story that entire race should have been about 
Max potentially breaking a record, or I guess technically it was tying a record. Like, this race should be about, is Max going to break the record? Like, that should be a big deal. Yes. And they should talk about it a lot. Is yeah. Red Bull and Max going to be break, good hype, yeah. Yeah, break a record in Formula One? It, it was really hard, though, to talk about tying the record when you can sit back and say that Lando Norris and McLaren, for the first time in a very long time, have a legitimate shot at winning yeah. the British Grand Prix. Oh, absolutely. That's but, a bigger storyline oh, than Max tying. I'm just saying, they need to pick out more storylines and let people know about them. Than just like that's a very American thing though. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like you know, that's watch watch the Open Championship this weekend, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's being played in at Royal Liverpool. It's the the World Championship for the European golf scene, right? Like it's obviously people from all over the world are playing yeah. in it. But those of you that don't know, it's it is the biggest deal. Or it's the biggest tournament in Europe every year. Fine, you will watch the coverage. And when they start to get like heavily European with the coverage, there's no storylines. As soon as there is an opportunity for a major storyline, they're going to shove it down your throat. Like if all of a sudden Rory McIlroy, who has previously won at this golf course, the Open Championship, if he is starting to look like he's in the lead for the first time for his first opportunity to win a major in nine years, the American broadcast is going to be all over that thing. And the European broadcast is going to be like, Oh well, he's played well. He's done a really good job here this week, and this will be his first up major in nine years. It's like, no, guys, make this yeah. as big of a deal as it actually is. That's a big deal. Like I, I felt that way a little bit watching Le Mans when I did was listening to the TV coverage because, for example, when Puja was running in the lead, I thought that was a big deal. Hometown uh, guys, yeah, French team, yeah, leading in the, Le Mans in the rain, which is like one of the harder stages of the race at night gaining ground in the lead i was like this is huge and the announcers were just like oh it looks like uh, puja is in the lead now and i'm just like <laughs> yeah <What? laughs> like what these guys are the underdogs they're at their home race like yeah nothing it, it's like they they they're missing the sense of um what is the opposite of introspection right like you're looking into yourself so what like i'm not almost sure. like Ex- take extra inspection that's what wants to pop into my mind I'm, <laughs> i feel like it's a phrase that i'm gonna listen back and go why didn't i say that <laughs> because i know what it is or but my, my point is like standing like back and accepting the moment and realizing the gravity of what you're watching and the historical historical significance of the moment is something that is often missed by everyone but the Americans when it comes to, to coverage. And I think a lot of that has to do with Hollywood. Like, you, mm. you've got TV, you've got uh, movies and huge drive, markets, right? Drive like, to survive. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. So the whole point is, like, they understand entertainment, right? Yeah. And it's like, that gets forced down your throat. And we're sitting here going, look, I love the sport, but you guys are doing a terrible job of entertaining me while watching the sport. Yeah. And that's I think that what, that's what happens a lot with a lot of the WEC races, and then often with Formula One, and I think that's why IndyCar's so easy, probably because we're American and we're used to that, for us to get into and go, yeah, all right, sign me up, like yeah. chaos. That that is true. Every IndyCar I also race. don't like artificial chaos though either. They, oh, hundred percent. Some, sometimes the announcers do go over the top. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, well, that happened a little bit at this race when people started running out of fuel. One of the announcers was. Does Lungard have enough fuel? I heard that. And I was like, what? Bro, he's 10 seconds in the lead. He wouldn't be 10 seconds in the lead if he was running on yeah, fumes. Yeah, if he was fuel saving, <laughs> he would not be here. Yeah. And somebody, one of the other announcers was very quick to jump on it. Might have been Townsend Bell. I don't remember. I think but it was, yeah. It was like, uh, no, 
Yeah, yeah. It's like that. What are you talking about? <laughs> we would have heard about yeah. that, you know, or something. So, so I you do see that sometimes in indie, but generally speaking, I I really do like the fact that every time they talk about a driver, it's like they have a fact sheet with every driver, and when they talk about him, like he hasn't won a race since this time, or like you know, it's important. It, like there's some storyline attached to every single driver. Yes. Um, and whenever that gets brought up, and that's what gets us interested. And it's like in F1, it's just like, oh, is Max going to win? If not, then who cares? Well, there, there was a <laughs> like, guy. That's how I feel about it. There was a guy. I want to say his name was Virtual Statman on yeah, yeah, yeah. on Twitter or yeah. something like that. And when NBC was covering the Formula One races, he personally would go out and find as much data as possible on that driver at that given circuit yep. and the history of them doing it, and then would give it to Lee Diffie and Steve, uh, David Hobbs and Steve Matchett, and they would have that information. So now if one of them wanted to pick, like, okay, we got a battle between Esteban Gutierrez and Sebastian Vettel. Oh, oh, Gutierrez actually finished third here back in 20... Like, yep. you know, they'd have that to reference. And I don't feel like there's... Maybe there's somebody doing that for, for Sky Sports and for Crofty and Brundle, but... And they're not using it, but if they're not using it, that's a problem. Like, <laughs> you know, like it, we are missing that just random factoid type of information. Yeah, they I do mean, give us some, but the, it's always useless. Like, <laughs> well, it, it seems like they're almost too. They can't see the forest through the trees. It seems, and it's easy to. I, I'm not saying their job is easy. But oh, no, what I am saying is yeah. when it's like the pinnacle of motorsport, you expect the best coverage. Well, you're not judging them by what you can do. You're judging them by what, what other announcers could do. What other announcers do do. Exactly, yes. exactly. So I, I do feel that, you know, it's like they're so focused on what is happening right in front of them that they don't talk about the larger picture, what it means for, you know, the championship, what it means for F1. It's like, you know, Williams was in the top 10, or well in the top 10 this last race, and they That's didn't say anything. Very good point. And you're just like, dude, that was huge. That's a very big deal. Yeah, excellent performance. It's a big and, deal for Albon and for Williams. Yeah, so it, that was, I don't know, man. It's it's really weird. It's like they only care about who's going to win the race, which then draws everyone else's attention to who's going to win the race. It's almost like now I'm actually interested if that's some sort of psychological bias Whereas if somebody else is only talking about who's going to win, do I only care about who's going to win? Versus if I hear a bunch of storylines within the field, I'm actually interested in the rest of the field. Like, is that psychological? I think to some extent it would be, but it's also evidenced in the contrary that we spent how many years watching the, or heavily paying attention to the GT classes in WEC racing. Yeah. And still the coverage was always for the prototypes even though it was just Toyota, but everybody yeah. was interested in what was going on down the field. Mm-hmm. Or at least everybody that's very interested in racing was interested in what's going on down the field. So I think there is some of that, but generally speaking, what you want to watch is good racing. Yeah. And what the Formula One and WEC are often not covering is good racing. They're just covering what's happening at the front. Yeah, but they don't even cover what's happening in a meaningful way. It's like if Max is leading 30 laps, like what how it comes off in the coverage is like oh and max is in the lead again by 10 seconds or it should be like and max Verstappen is controlling this race yeah 30 laps in the lead so far dominating you know like yeah. that's how it should come out not just like well max is in the lead again Let's see if any, no one's really challenged him yet and it's yeah. like that's okay 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Way to put a downer on it, you know? Right. No, I do I do get the feeling, and this is... It's not unsubstantiated in the sense that it's, like, not something I haven't observed. It's just entirely my opinion. Yeah. There's no factual basis behind it. There's no data or anything. I do get the feeling regularly that both Crofty and Brundle, Crofty in particular, do not like Max mm. and don't have any interest in him winning. Do and they it, like anybody? Cause... Yeah. Oh, they love the English, man. Oh, they okay. absolutely okay. love Lewis they got the and bias. they love Norris. And it's okay. that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Come on. We, if we Logan, would be the same way. If, Logan, if we yeah. are now the, the Formula One announcers and Logan Sargent is the best driver on the grid, we are going to be going insane. Yeah, exactly. I am not hypocritical enough to to sit back and go there's no way no i just i would be the best and no i would yeah, not yeah. like i would be going nuts i get it but it, <laughs> you're getting made a lot of money there's no way they're not making probably seven figures yeah. to be doing this that you you gotta be a little bit more excited even if you don't like the guy it's part yeah. of your job mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i i think you know, like we said, it just kind of bleeds into your perception of the race. And one of the things I was thinking about, too, is a lot of times what makes something... Ex- this is a bit of a tangent. I mean, this is... It's, let me let me just explain, see if it makes sense to you. When I'm watching a race and, like, Katie's in the room or someone else is in the room, do you... Or, you know, when you're watching the race and someone else is in the room, do you end up trying to explain the race... And isn't it much better to be like, oh, see this guy here? He hasn't won a race since this time. This is a really big deal. He's driving for this. Or like, oh, this guy, it's a big deal because of this, blah, blah, blah. You explain that kind of stuff. You don't say, so-and-so's in the lead by 10 seconds. This guy's in second place by five seconds. Like, that's not how you explain yeah. it, right? Yeah, so no, I, I totally agree. Um, like, it, it does depend on what I'm doing, like, as far as the sport is concerned. Yeah. If If you attempt to watch a Red Wings game with me, I'm going to tell you to shut the hell up. <laughs> Stop. I'm watching the game. Leave me alone. Yeah. Like, I don't want to, my favorite teams. I'm not watching a college football game with you and explaining things. Okay. That's not happening because I'm interested in what's going on to like the most infinitesimally small detail. Okay. When it comes to Formula One or any other racing, really, for that matter, if somebody wants to talk, there is a lot of downtime and yeah. a lot of open conversation. So, yeah. I, I think 100% you are correct. Yeah. I just, it's an important caveat because I couldn't, I, like my dream as a as a kid was would be like, I wanted to be a Red Wings announcer. Like that is, oh my goodness, that to be able to do the play-by-play every night for, for the Red Wings would just be the coolest thing ever. Get to watch the, every game, know every detail about every play, right? Love that. I could not sit back and watch and then try to explain a game to you. I am not doing it. I am way too committed to what's happening on the ice. Interesting. But for Formula One, there's that downtime, right? Hockey's really fast. There's a lot of stuff going on. Every last detail, where the puck goes, who's getting onto the ice, what what are the, the matchups between this team and this team, who has last change? Oh, that team, you know, like, they're the home team, so they get last change. There's a lot of stuff constantly moving. There's a lot of moving parts in Formula One. But once he's gone around the lap, guess what? They can't change anything until he gets back around. So there's not too much going on one year, once, once you're on the track. There are, there's a ton of planning, but there's a ton of downtime as well. So yeah. I agree with you. I think the, the, the Formula One is a relatively easy sport. In, well, golf, you could probably do the same thing. 
Oh, I agree. Yeah. And and golf, I would. Like mm-hmm. I golf is a lot of fun to watch with people that know a lot about the sport. Mm-hmm. Because then you can sit back and actually analyze it's so slow moving that you can actually sit back and analyze the shot. Yeah. Especially if you know a lot about it. Yeah. And that gets really fun. Like watching golf in a group is a blast, man. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've done it. I've never never done oh, it so my, my i mean i've watched it with my dad and i end up doing this exact thing that you're talking about yeah where he'll be like oh you should just go for it and i'm like no he's got this this is going on yeah, and that over there like yeah. no way yeah and well and the best part is like especially if you guys all have a rooting interest so there's there's a player on tour that is loosely tied to at least our our rooting interest for our family like a, a one of my family members played college golf with his brother and knows him really well so we always root for him right and when he starts seriously contending we are all together like yeah like just (laughs) going nuts and then we start talking about the shot what a stupid shot and then somebody else like no actually that's the right shot that kind of conversation because again golf is so Mm -hmm. slow moving you can get away with that but it's golf watching golf in a group if you are a golfer if you're not a golfer don't don't bother it's like go, I I get it's boring, right? Yeah, we played way too much of it. Yeah, so I, I we're a little biased in that sense. But if you played a lot of golf and you understand, watching it in a group is one of the best things. That is one of the few sports I will watch in a group. You mm-hmm. are consider yourself very lucky if you watch a Michigan football game with me. I I'm pretty sure that. Uh, me and uh, our friend Sawyer, we used to hang out with you during that time, and we would literally go out. You would leave. To eat yeah. Well, you to left avoid. during. The, you guys also you would come over during the Michigan Ohio State game. Yeah. Which is without a doubt, and anyone that says otherwise is entirely wrong. There is no debate to this. The single greatest rivalry in sports. Okay. It like it's just not close, and. So you guys, <laughs> you guys who don't give a damn about college football, like at least Sawyer likes football a little bit. You don't I care at nothing. all about football. Yeah. Would sit back and go, I don't understand. It it would be the equivalent of going to like mass with a devoutly religious individual, and you're just sitting there going, I've never been to church. Yeah, never because it college football is a religion for those that grow up with it. I don't get it at all. I. Said the exact same person that has never been to church before and is looking at somebody that's devoutly religious, going, "I don't get it." Yeah, <laughs> that's me. I, I like so it, you know, it's just one. I'm of those like, things. I understand why other people get into it, but yeah. like, it just, I nothing. I feel nothing. You can't. <laughs> but I, I, you, you honestly can't. It's which, yeah. which is a shame in a way. Like I've tried to explain it my, myself and one of my other really good buddies, who's a huge Alabama fan. Um, we talked about it before how neither of us are particularly large NFL fans, mostly because the team that I root for, who's actually supposed to be good this year. I know this is a serious tangent. We're on a racing <laughs> podcast. We're talking sports. You can get me going on other sports, but I'm excited for the NFL this year. But traditionally the lions have been absolute crap. Okay. One of the worst teams in NFL history since, bef- let me put it this way. They've won one playoff game since my dad's been alive. Just to give you an idea as to how how bad that is. Yeah. So not not traditionally a big NFL fan. Alabama doesn't have an NFL team, like the state of Alabama. So he doesn't really have anybody to root for either. And we're trying to explain to people that are like huge NFL fans 
why college football is great, and it's just because they don't grow up in a college town or nearby or have that immediate brand allegiance where every mm-hmm. Saturday is the same thing. Dude, I cannot explain to you how good it is the first fall morning when it's you get that crisp, cool air, you open up the house, you don't need the AC, like down here, you don't need, the, obviously your house is open if you're yeah. up in Michigan yeah. at that time, but crisp, cool air, it's Labor Day, the flag's flying, right? Like you're ready to go and college game day comes on, so you've got three hours of like just anticipation and then the first kickoff and you're you're just ready to go you're just amped immediately it you're so jacked I, sure i know i know i understand but you just you don't get it until you live it and and actually like i it's a really interesting eye-opening experience for me um when i did again this big tangent so those of you that don't aren't interested in random sports talk tune out now but yeah uh, my education is through Penn State, right? Grew up in Ann Arbor, huge Michigan fan. Penn State is in the same conference. I've never rooted for Penn State. That's not a thing, right? Like, did, growing up, didn't root for Penn State. Went, all right, my education is through Penn State. Let's, maybe, yeah, maybe that makes sense. You know what? Let me try and follow the team. I'll, I'll even subscribe to a couple of podcasts for the football team. Because, hey, you know, I can root for two teams, right? Could not do it. <laughs> Couldn't do it. Couldn't even try, man. Like, it, I like I gave just, I was like, all right, I'm going to commit to this for about, maybe I can give this a month, right? Nope. Nope. So I, I get the aspect of I'm going to give it a shot and it not panning out. Yeah. Because I can tell you right now, if I grew up, Anywhere other than where I was and not in a college town, I'm probably not a college football fan. So where do you think that type of fanaticism comes from that we see in like a sport like hockey or football? And what is it even something that we would want in racing? Oh, I think you do see it in racing. I think we saw it last week at Silverstone. Do you, but that's for the drivers, right? It's not for teams. To some extent. Yeah. I mean, look at what happens when you go to uh, Italy. You That's go to true. Monza and you have the Tifosi, right? That's true. Is it just on such a large scale that we don't really see it, maybe? Or we don't acknowledge it the same way? I think... Because it's on a global scale. I think what it is, is it's just... It's when you get a committed group of individuals all pushing towards the same objective, right? You see it a lot. Like, I, I've talked to a lot of Europeans and they're always impressed by college football when they come over here. Because it's the closest thing that America has to soccer, yeah, right, or football as they call it, and it's a an, an intense understanding of commitment to this single team or individual, right, hmm. or not individual, but the single team or uh, city, whatever school entity, whatever yeah. it is, yeah. yeah, and to the point where you guys ha- like Michigan has a fight song with words to it. That everybody chants and everybody knows, right? Just the same way that all these football teams also have these chants and and fight songs. I don't think they call them fight songs, but they have these. This just it's like a culture. Exactly. It's this. It's this unique commitment to one single entity. That's why I say it's like it is very religious when you start to think about it. Like mm. your your golden calf is your team, right? Like that's who you're following deeply. You idolize that that brand, that big for me, that big block M, right? 
that's what it is. And for I think in racing, especially with Ferrari, I think probably more more so than any other team, that prancing horse is that that golden calf. Hmm. Golden calf? <laughs> prancing horse? <laughs> I, I understand kind yeah, of what you're saying. Yeah, it's the, so it's a golden prancing horse. But yes, yes. Um, my, my point is, you know, like that's that's the closest that I think you get in racing, and I, I love it, man. Like I, Monza's a terrible track. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. It's an awful, awful track as far as the current design is. But are you not always excited for the Italian Grand Prix? Yeah, because the fans go nuts. The racing is okay, but you desperately want Ferrari to win. You want to see the crowd go bonkers, and that's what makes it so much fun. Hmm. Fandom is amazing. I love fandom. The problem with racing is that it's really hard to root for. It's hard to root for an owner. It's unrelatable. And it's really hard to root for a team that changes. Yeah. So when you have Red Bull consistently winning, you start to see a lot of Red Bull fans, hmm. which makes it a lot easier to follow. Mercedes, traditionally, not really a great Formula One team. Yeah. They had a very, very, very good stretch. Yeah, but it's like, it's not really Mercedes, is it? None of these teams. That's my I mean, point. The I, only one that's yeah. really, like, Ferrari is really Ferrari. Uh, McLaren is really McLaren. Yeah. I'm Outside of that, uh, I, I guess you could say Williams is still exactly. Williams. Yep. And other than that, I think, and Haas technically is Haas. Yeah, but who's following them? Yeah. But outside of that, if uh, I'm, I'm just trying to double check myself, I'm pretty sure that's it. At, yeah. at least at this point. I mean, Red Bull, to some extent, is Red Bull. That's true. Red Bull is Red Bull. But the rest of the teams are basically like shell teams. Uh, yeah. Alpha Tori is like, that's a weird one. They're uh, an afterthought. Alfa Romeo is just one of the older Formula One teams. That Sauber, Alfa Romeo, previously Sauber. Yeah, sticks a Alfa Romeo badge on. It's like slam. Yeah. It's Alfa Romeo. Yep. Aston Martin's pretty much the same thing. Formerly Force India, formerly Jordan. Yep. Um, who else is on the grid? Yeah, I mean it's Mercedes just, is that way. Mercedes is just like bam, used to be Braun, yeah, now yeah. it's Mercedes. Right. And I'm sure Mercedes pumps money into it. Of course. But like the individuals that are working for it, you know, you could whatever brand well, buys them next I, is it's gonna be that brand. I you know? hope I hope that Mercedes sticks around at the top of the grid for the rest of Formula One. I yeah. hope that Red Bull sticks around at the top of the grid for the rest of Formula One. I want these type of battles. Team teams are what make it easy to follow that's what makes it interesting that's what makes it fun i mean it's like yeah if you're a fan of red bull you can also be a fan of max verstappen but you could have also have been a fan of sebastian vettel or daniel ricardo when he was there or whatever like you pick the driver the the cool part about rooting for a team is that you can rotate through players and stay for generations yeah oh my dad's always been a red bull fan so i'm gonna root for red bull as well like that's that's how it is. I don't I don't root. For, I mean, I it's geographical in some sense, but I probably root for all of these teams because that's who my dad rooted for as well. That's who I was. You know, you grow up idolizing your father or your grandfather, whoever it may be in your family, whoever so, is the it's sports. Just fan. what you're familiar with, yeah. too. So you, you immediately with. build that that allegiance to that team. You get the, in your formative years. That's who you care about, and very quickly, it's like boom. It's really interesting. I would love to see more team allegiance in motorsport. I just don't know how you do it. It's weird, too, because, like, motorsports is more business than it is, like, 
sports, right? Like, the teams are just random people who just decide, decide to spend a ton of money trying to win races for fun. Mm-hmm. That's literally what it is. It's not like college sports, which is, like, a business. And I don't know anything about the NFL, but, like, you tell me if it's more business. I mean, because the teams... NFL is, is pure business. Okay, because, like, who who sets up... Like, if you were if somebody was to set up a new NFL team, how does that even work? Does the city do it? Is it a private individual? Like, what is that? As far as the NFL, I don't know. I can speak to the NHL because I've watched it happen multiple times in the last couple of years. The NFL has not had a new team since, I believe, the Houston Texans, which would have been in the late 90s, early 2000s. (laughs) Yeah, it's a... (laughs) The Tallahassee Floridians. Like, (laughs) yeah, okay. What? But um, the way the NHL works, because we've had a couple of expansion teams in the last couple of years, the city itself goes to the NHL and the Mm. NHL commissioner and says, we want to host a team. And the NHL says, prove to us that you can do that, essentially. And it shows, like, they need to kind of get a a fan base going. Like, okay, so there's a couple of... Stadium. They need it, yeah, they need to have an arena ready uh, to be able to host it. They need to... show that they can be able to sell these type of tickets then when it happens so okay the nhl says yeah sure seattle you can host a team sure vegas you can host a team so those those two teams are 2020 2021 seattle was either in 2020 or 2021 i can't remember and then vegas i believe was 2016 was their expansion draft it may have been 2017 but two very recent teams um so what happens is then the all of the teams in the NHL are allowed to have um, X amount of protected players. So for the Vegas draft, if I remember correctly, it was they had nine skaters and one goaltender that you could protect, and everybody else was exposed to Vegas to be able to take them. Hmm. Or they had something where they could have like six forwards, four defensemen, and two goalies. They were like. So if your team was like really heavily good in forwards, you want to take that nine skaters because defensemen and forwards are considered skaters. So there's some strategy in it, right? Too often NHL GMs just galaxy brain the shit and they end up getting screwed because mm. they're like, well, we're going to take this guy because they won't take this guy. And then Vegas goes, no, we'll take that guy. Thank you. <laughs> so there's a lot of stupid crap, but that's kind of how a team gets developed and implemented. Okay. So it would be something like if, in Formula One, the equivalent would be like, okay, let's say Roger Penske wants to bring Porsche into into Formula One. Every single Formula One team gets to protect one driver and and I guess you can't say one team principal because you only have one team principal, but maybe like three of your most important uh, behind-the-scenes guys so like red bull says no you can't have adrian newey no you can't have christian horner and no you can't have whatever Ma- um whoever max verstappen's crew chief is or uh, whatever the hell they call him the guy he talks to yeah yeah engineer yes thank you so the equivalent would be something like that so then roger penske and porsche can come in and go look we want this guy from mercedes we want this guy from red bull we want this guy from ferrari and we want that driver and then they set up a team Dude, Which, that would be wild. <laughs> it would be wild, but it would also create a lot of parody. It yeah. would be really interesting. Haas wouldn't come in at the the ground level and then still be struggling, what, seven years down the road now? Yeah. They would all of a sudden be a legitimate contender. Now, as a hockey fan, expansion draft sucks. I hate it. 
Okay. I can't stand it because what it does is now immediately vault this team to the top. Vegas just yeah, they won can just their pick whoever's the best. Vegas just won their first cup. Yeah. This year as a sixth year team in the league or something, sixth or seventh mm. year in the league. The, San Jose has been in the in the league since ninety four and has never won. Mm. Hmm. Yes, management issues and stuff like that. Like, yeah. there's gonna be some some other pieces to this puzzle, but it, it would suck. Racing fans would go nuts if yeah. all of a sudden Haas comes in and four years down the road is winning back to back world championships. It looks bad. Yeah, that's interesting. But I I also don't know how you could take the business out of F one too because it is so expensive. Like, I guess, well, actually, I'd be actually kind of curious to know what the budget difference is between, like, running a sports team, like in the NFL or NHL or something like that, versus running a Formula One team. Well, there's a huge difference between the NFL and the NHL, Okay. by the way. So, the highest paid player in the NHL is currently making, I think, just shy of $13 million a year. Okay. The highest paid player in the NFL is probably making close to $60 million a year. Wait, way more? significantly where the nhl is nowhere near what the nfl is wow the nfl makes just insane amounts of money wow insane like nfl is on par with formula one as far as what they're making per year on like aav yeah um, at average annual annual value so highest paid still obviously is golf golf and tennis those guys are making just insane amounts of money but uh they're not like necessarily like signing up contract for a year with a team or something well, it's different it depends really the, the, oh, the whole live tour <laughs> the whole live tour yeah that's i mean they were signing whole... 230 million dollar contracts so yeah that's true um but yeah the like formula one and the nfl are much more comparable as far as contracts for individuals than the nhl mm-hmm. is the nhl is very not underpaid it's market value it's what it's it's what they get like the nhl does not get the viewership that the nfl does it's relatively on par to the to to the nba the difference is the nba has 12 people on a roster the nhl has 30 so yeah <laughs> i'm gonna put this out there purely as a thought experiment okay all right so don't nobody get super upset because i i think this is a radical idea i'm just like purely thought experiment what would happen if you took indycar and ran it like the NFL or the NHL and you had city based teams, two car teams, and then the drivers, you know, were like drafted around or whatever you want to, you know, however, I don't know how exactly it's done mm-hmm. in those uh, sports, but what if they did something like that? Do you think it would be a disaster or do you think it'd be viable? Cause nope. in IndyCar, they're all the same car. So like theoretically you could do that. Yeah. I think the issue you run into there is, Depending on how many drivers you have on the team, let's let's use Formula One for example because you know you have two drivers. Some mm-hmm. IndyCar teams have like four. Some IndyCar teams have. But so let's transplant the Formula One model of two yeah, two, two, cars, drivers, two drivers, yeah, yeah, to the the United States because that's what you're trying to do is with, yeah. as far as the teams are concerned. I can tell you right now, every team is going to need one home driver. Mm. It's going to be really important that. Tennessee has a driver from Memphis. Yeah. Or Memphis has a driver somewhere from Tennessee. You know, like that type of stuff is going to be really, really important mm-hmm. because it's generally speaking, it's a really, really big deal when your home, t- your superstar on your team is from your hometown. Okay. Or from, from the team's, 
not even hometown, from the team's home state. It's yeah. it's really important. Um, and when you're getting down to two drivers per team, that's tough. It's really like it it only gets even more important. Yeah. Like if let's let's say you have a team from st louis or something like that like a relatively large midwestern city and your two drivers are from la and new york yeah how many people from st louis are going to root for the st louis yeah especially if there's like you know like especially if there's like a new york team or something yeah that'd be weird yeah Yeah. Hmm. it's an interesting idea i don't see it working in motorsport yeah i think what what needs to happen in motorsport is that brand allegiance needs to be more popular you need to get more manufacturers involved. You need to incentivize manufacturers because people can get behind manufacturers. They yeah. already are in. They already have that built-in brand allegiance in the vehicles that they drive every day. Like, it's silly, but I don't have interest in owning an F one fifty because I own a Silverado. Whatever. Like, that's just a thing. It's there's no rhyme or reason behind it. Maybe the F one fifty is better, but look, I like the bow tie, not the the yeah. blue oval. You know what's another so, tough thing about motorsport is is every weekend everybody competes in the same race. Mm-hmm. Imagine if every weekend the NHL did a uh, round robin tournament. A round robin tournament with yeah. everybody. Yeah. That would get really boring really fast yes, because it would. you'd end up seeing the exact same thing play out yeah. every weekend. Yeah, the the team aspect that you're kind of getting at would be more interesting if it was like this team a sprint team. race of like six teams. Yeah. That you know, they do a, a match if you will or something. Yeah. But. That's interesting. It kind of puts perspective in motorsports, like one of the races where when you do have that format, you sort of, instead of going into a weekend and be like, oh, this, you know, these guys, they're okay, but these guys are pretty good. Let's see what happens. It's more like it, we know where everybody's at. Mm-hmm. We're doing the same thing yeah, again. I mean, the, the, the same one, thing's going to happen. The one thing that would be interesting with the team aspect of it is if you forced, which would create a massive disadvantage. There's a lot of negative... Um, things that could occur with this but if you essentially your home grand prix is where you do all your testing and Mm. no one else is allowed to test there at all so now you're creating a home circuit advantage so if like uh the team from dc gets vir and everybody else has to go to vir having never tested there all year long on this car yet that home team has been testing there non-stop because that's really what you're trying to do is you're creating home field advantage and that that type of stuff yeah then okay i could see some some weird things but it would the racing would get difficult yeah it's pretty interesting but um i think we're going to call it there after that discussion uh we had plenty of tangents that episode yeah yeah i mean we we got away from racing yeah I think it was good, though. I think it was we had some interesting ideas and interesting discussions, which I think is good to have from time to time. Because if you just talk about racing, you end up just comparing like we do F one and IndyCar. Whereas if we can sort of look out sometimes, yeah, and see what works for other sports, and it's like, does that work for racing or not? I don't know. It's an interesting, interesting discussion. I think. Yeah, I agree. So I can trust me. You can get me on other sports anytime you want. Yeah, and it's not because I don't like racing. It's because I'm a sports nut. Yeah, I'm surprised you don't have a sports podcast. with what time yeah fair enough (laughs) (laughs) all right so we'll end it there um thanks for listening we'll see you next week uh if you want to follow us it's motorsports in focus on instagram facebook and twitter see you next time